it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to our malt mates at Cry Malt, that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Regular listeners will know that two topics that we keep a very close eye on at Brews News are equity crowdfunding and alcohol-free beer. So you just know that when an alcohol-free beer company equity crowdfunds, that I'm going to want to learn more. And you know what? I'm very glad that I did. In this conversation, I meet Clinton Schultz and Lozen McDiamond Schultz from Sober and hear about their background and how they came to be in the non-alcohol sophisticated beverage industry. We discuss what's driving alcohol-free beer, who's drinking it and why, and whether it has a long-term future. We look at the alcohol-free movement, the anti-alcohol movement, and Australia's drinking culture, and also business and crowdsource funding. It's a powerful chat about some topics that are very relevant and really important to the brewing industry, including, surprisingly, building a business to sell and who to if you do. It's a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Lozen McDiamond and Clinton Schultz, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks for having us, Matt. As I said to you off mic, we're a little bit averse to doing equity crowdfunding campaigns uh, on, on Bruce News for a whole range of reasons. But the Sober campaign is one that intrigues me. Well, it's not even the uh, equity crowdfunding campaign that uh, makes it news. It's the whole Sober story. So I guess let, let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you came to uh, run a non-alcoholic beer business. Well, let's start with Clinton. I was a massive party animal, spend four nights a week on the on, on the drink and then spend the rest of the time trying to sober up <laughs> while I patiently waited in the background for him to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> how long have you guys been a, a, a pair? 14 years. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah it took me, took me a good uh, eight of those to uh, grow up as such. <laughs> I remember saying to him at one point, Clint, you're not 18 anymore. There's some point where you've got to give away, you know, some of this behaviour. 32. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I've been sober now for almost seven years. It'll be seven years at Christmas time. And um, that was really the start of the whole sober journey. Um, When I gave up drinking, there was no options for adults who wanted to still indulge in a in a non-alcoholic, sophisticated tasting beverage. Uh, I got really frustrated with every time I'd go to a cafe or a bar or a restaurant and ask for a non-alcoholic drink, I'd just be told we've got soft drink or I'd be stung six bucks for a soda water with a piece of lime in it, which frustrated me even more because we got a soda stream at home and I know exactly how much that <laughs> soda water costs. So I, I just started mucking around making uh, some non-alcoholic beers for myself and we had a little food truck at the time doing sort of bush tucker inspired foods. And so we thought it'd be really cool to pair the beers that I was making with the food that we we're doing in the food truck as something that would match and pair nicely. So 
we just had a kegerator in the food truck and that was all it was ever supposed to be. Something for me to drink in the background and something cool to sell out of the food truck. And we just had a lot of people coming up and asking if they could get takeaways in them early days. People would rock up with literally dirty, empty soft drink bottles and every now and then someone sophisticated would bring a growler, but really not that often. It was more <laughs> often a water bottle or a Coke bottle. And um, so we were doing takeaways in that and it made us start thinking that there was an opportunity for this to be a business by itself. Yeah, and we spent like... We've probably spent six months having conversations with people out of the food truck about that, you know, people giving us vouchers of um, confidence, you know, uh, saying that we should we should package it, we should market it. And we had Sober as a brand before we even put it in the food truck. We, we had a name for it before it was even a commercial product. And um, we, we had so many people have a, an emotional response to it you know, there's one time this woman, she was eight months pregnant and we gave her a cup of beer and she started crying and we're like, oh, my God, what did we just do? And she said, I just missed this. I, I, I needed this so much. And um, and that we just got so many little pieces of validation from people that made us think, okay, maybe this this thing that we started for fun, maybe we should take it wider and, and take it out there and see if anyone else wants it. And in the background, I'd been, you know, I'd, I'd been mucking around with my mates. And, I've, you know, at the time, one of my really, really close mates was in prison and we used to go down and, and visit him. And, you know, he was determined that when he got out of jail, he wanted to change his life. He'd seen that I'd already started to change my life and he was quite inspired by that. And I, I just was mucking around. I said, mate, by the time you get out, I'm going to have a non-out beer and I'm going to call it sober. And he just pissed himself laughing. And I was like, well, you've laughed at me. Now I'm going to do it. Um, that was... Whenever I get laughed at, I'm pretty driven to uh, be able to succeed so I can laugh back at people. So that's that was the drive. And, and that we've been laughed at a lot. Over oh, that. my gosh. We've been laughed at a lot, yeah. And and, and funny, funnily enough, a lot some of the people who laughed at us a few years ago are now um, players in this game. So <laughs> it's quite interesting how it's all tables turn. Well, I, I, I have never laughed, but I have... <laughs> had questions, uh, a lot of which uh, I'll be asking you today. And seeing sure. we are recording this um, by camera, which we don't always do, um, I can't hide the fact that I am drinking um, a, a beer, but it's, I wasn't organised enough to get a sober. Um, I ran out of time. I've been in the yard, as you can probably tell. But in, in the spirit of um, speaking about it, it seemed appropriate on a Saturday afternoon to have a beer while I was recording. But given the conversation, I'm having the... Uh, you, you, you don't mind me nah. naming a competitor? <laughs> a, a Bridge Road uh, free time, alcohol-free pale ale. So uh, it, it seemed appropriate given the, uh, the the conversation. So, Glenn, just um, very quickly, you, meant, you, you, you mentioned you've been sober for six or seven years. Um, yeah. does, does that mean you don't indulge in alcohol beverages at all? Or I haven't had a drop in okay. nearly seven years, mate. That, and that's one of my questions um, it, when, when I look at the, the, the use case for um, alcohol-free uh, beers. Um, you know, is it something that you moderate, you know, and maybe, you know, wedge between so you can hide from your mates that you're not hammering it, you know, in, in that toxic culture way of drinking? Um, or is it something that can be a complete substitute for people that do want to uh, give up alcohol? 
Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's a bit of both. And in the early days, it was definitely more on the side of um, being to hide the fact you weren't not drinking. Now there's so much more acceptance for non-alcoholic adult beverages that people feel really comfortable, you know, pulling one out and, and having it at a barbecue or at a, at a bar or whatever. And I think that's it's been amazing for us to be a part of that journey and to really see that shift in mentality over the last four years in Australia. And we'd like to think that we played a, a pretty significant part in, in that. Um, you know, when we started, there was no non-outcraft beers in Australia. And now there's, now, as you know, there's a freaking dozen of them. So choice is good. I think the choice has made it more readily available and made it easier for people to make a better choice. So it's um, also, you know, it's not like you mentioned moderation, you know, if you don't feel like drinking or if you you know you've got something on or you're training for something or you know there's a good reason why you might be out you might be social but you're not you're not wanting to you know, take in the alcohol and so people are feeling more comfortable to to go to that non-alc version and um and and it just be normal like you know i just i just want the taste i just want you know the, to to have those flavors of a of an adult tasting beverage and and not actually have the alcohol or the or the headache the next day so absolutely although i really like the way you refer to it as a non-alcoholic sophisticated beverage um because that's yeah, that that is an interesting way of looking at it a, a lot of people talk about it as being a beer but when you frame it that way it 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 does give some idea of the attraction for it. I, I guess my mind turns to the alternatives that people that used to have at restaurants and things, which was the mocktail, which tried to mimic the flavor of a cocktail, but without the alcohol. A, yeah, I don't know that a mocktail does. A mocktail is just a glorified fruit juice. <laughs> non-alc cocktails are amazing. Mocktails are ordinary. Mocktails are ordinary. <laughs> a non-alc cocktail that does seek to mimic the complex flavour profiles of of an alcoholic version are decent, um, and there's some really interesting science behind what people are doing in some of those spaces. Is it enough? Again, the thing I can't get my head my head around is you know somebody who, you know, we talk about empty calories um, that, that, that come from alcohol, for example. Alcohol for me isn't an empty uh, calorie. It's, you know, that one beer that you have at the end of the day and that wonderful feeling. So, and I'm probably, I, I, hopefully I'm not triggering um, <laughs> when you talk about this, but this wonderful feeling that you get um, of re- relaxation, that e- even just at that level without a continued thing. There's actually research that supports this and Clinton can elaborate. But- yeah, so the research actually suggests that that first drink, it's not about the alcohol, it is about the sensation. So having a non-alc that actually replicates an alc gives you the same sensation. So, yeah, if you that first drink that you have, if it tastes, you know, if it hits the mark taste-wise, your body just reacts to the, the, mm. the flavour. It's drink three, four and five is when you start to get inebriated and it's not about flavour anymore. Yeah. So, so are you describing what they call the nocebo effect where because you're used to the flavour of beer having an impact that you can trigger that anyway? Yeah. Does that mean that you have to be, you know, have consumed alcohol first to then get that benefit from a no alcohol? You know, you, yeah. if, if you've never had a beer before and never had alcohol before, and you have a no alcohol beer, are you still going to have that same effect? No, I don't think so. But you know, one of the best compliments we can actually get is from people who don't drink beer. Oh, this tastes like beer. That's one of my (laughs) favorite compliments. So 
for people who don't drink beer, they're unlikely to drink non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a it is a flavor that you get used to, and that's why we say it's an adult beverage. You know, we you know other countries they have children's beer and children grow up drinking beer and they're used to the flavor profiles but um you know here it is considered an adult drink and a and a and a flavor that comes with with maturity um and you know we get asked if our target market are millennials who are not drinking and we always say well only if they like beer you know they have to like the flavors of beer if they want to drink our beer because it does taste like Beer. It's kind of like like I I can't stand kombucha. That was one of the reasons I started making non-alcoholic beer because all that was available that was supposedly sophisticated for non-drinkers when I quit drinking was kombucha, and to me it just tastes like a a, a bottle of vinegar. I just can't stand kombucha. Um, but that you know, so it'd be the same for people who don't like beer. It's going to be like ah, this is horrible. So this is what fascinates me about what we drink and and why because. You, 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 you're spot on. Beer is an acquired taste, or as a, a, a beer writer in the early days of um, blogging uh, said, you know, his dad told him when he didn't like the flavour of beer, it's an acquired taste, son, but it's a taste worth acquiring. <laughs> but um, that, that, that then begs a question and comes back to, to that, you know, functional functionality of beer. Is it something that we want to acquire the taste for if it doesn't have that... Um, it, there's a whole lot of social acceptance that blokes mm. you had to drink beer, and I think a lot of that has gone down. Yeah. Um, over, thankfully, over the last two decades. But what is the imperative um, if you're not drinking for the alcohol to, to 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 get that bitterness and some of those flavors that only beer can deliver? Well, again, if we look at the research, we can actually tell that across the lifespan, people's palates actually change. Um, so. The, the receptors in your mouth become more attuned to bitter-based drinks. So, you know, again, you're going to find people who are going to naturally form a, a better response to bitter-based beverages as they start to get older. Mm. Um, so, yeah, while we, you know, my 13-year-old thinks that this is the devil in a can. Like, he just hates the flavour of beer. And, and for me, that's a good thing. Hopefully he just is off beer and he will stay off beer until, you know, maybe one day his palate starts to change and he'll start to appreciate more bitter-based beverages. But right now he hates it, which is great yeah. for me. <laughs> I remember as a kid, you know, my my um, stepdad being a builder would, you know, after a hard day's uh, work would come home with a, a stubby of a particular type of very standard beer from Victoria and, um, <laughs> and there would be the dregs in the bottom that we would, we would, you know, drink and tasted terrible but for some reason we couldn't help ourselves, you know, and it was just I guess that's us as kids starting to yeah. acquire those tastes. <laughs> And I remember, like the the, the as a as, as a kid in the seventies, the best thing was get dad would send you to the fridge to bring back the bottle of beer, and you would be allowed to pour it, and he would grade, you know, how you poured it, and <laughs> yeah. if you're tipping the glass right and getting the head on it, and the the, the reward was you got to sip a little bit of the foam. Yeah, and you think, how does he drink this stuff? And that that was where where that that, that story came, and you know, it's it's. On, on the research, it's, that, that's the stuff that 
fascinates me is that children are, are attuned to sweetness. You know, when you, you're growing, that's the source of calories that children need. Um, and they're also have an aversion to bitterness because in nature, um, it's poison. poisons. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so it's a natural warning that if you put something bitter in a child's mouth, they'll spit it, you know, spit it out and look at you wondering why you're trying to kill it. Um, <laughs> And consequently, you know, again, there are rituals that we go through as kids. Um, you know, I remember going to my grandparents' house and all the parents would sort of have tea from Nana's teapot and the cosy and you'd want to be part of the tea ritual. But it was 80% milk and six <laughs> sugars just to get over that bitterness. Yeah. Um, and that sort of goes. But and in, 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 instantly that's one of the reasons why I think that beer is typically been uh, a much more blokey drink, at least over the last generation or two in Australia, because there's been no social pressure for women to get that taste because mm -hmm. they've had wines and other things that were unmanly for men to drink. Mm -hmm. um, but blokes had, you know, it was kind of like pinch your nose and swallow it until you uh, got the palate. And also for, I guess, I don't, I don't know, but Beer, beer makes you burp. That's not very feminine. It's not very ladylike to be belching after a, a pot of beer. Oh, babe, that's a bit rich coming from you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this could become one of those FM radio uh, dish the dirt on your partner podcast. So, so do, you, do you have a nutrition panel on, on, on sober beverages? Yeah, we do. And um, legislatively, we don't have to, mm. um, but we wanted to be quite transparent um, with our consumers about, um, you know, about the nutritional value. Yeah. So so how, how does a, a sober Pilsner, for example, compare to a, a regular lager in terms of the kilojoules? Well, it's hard to say because beer products don't have a nutritional panel on them. Yeah. <laughs> we to rely on some honesty from the beer companies about what they're saying. Yeah, I mean, beer companies don't factor in the, the, the fact that alcohol, once consumed, turns into uh, calories in your body anyway. So they can put no, no cal, low cal on their bottle. But as long as there's 5% alcohol in it, you, it's turning into calories once you consumed anyway. <laughs> yeah, which is where I was going. You know, what's the comparison? Because yeah, the sugar so, I mean, it's ferments into us, alcohol. It's easier for us to compare to other non-alcoholic beverages, such as sure. soft drinks, kombuchas, et cetera, um, because they have a nutrition panel. So we actually know what's in there in terms of sugars and carbohydrates, et cetera. Um, whereas, as Lozen said, a lot of that's kind of hidden a bit in the beer industry. Um so, you know, if you compared us to to a Fanta, for instance, and that and that Pilsner, um, or a Solo, so that's a lemon-based drink, and that that's our lemon aspen Pilsner is a lemon-based non-alk beer. There's only nine grams of sugar in ours. Mm. There's probably 45 grams plus in that Solo. So, you know, when we're looking at the more healthy alternative in terms of a non-alk option, non-alk beer is the more healthy option. Yeah, it is. It's a healthy carb. You know, there's there's actually, um, you, you know. It's in a can. Yeah, it's like, you, um, what was it, the, the Germans taking 40 gallons of non-alk beer into Sochi for the Winter Olympics because it was a great recovery drink and obviously Germans love beer and they're, they're you know, in a sport so they're not drinking alcohol at the time. So, yeah, they say that, uh, you know, non-alk beer is a much more um, healthier alternative to um, sports recovery drinks. Mm. 
Well, it, it, as, as a natural beverage, um, it, yeah. it, it, it's better. And, uh, you know, don't get me started on alcoholic beverages being described as healthier because yeah, um, yeah. anything that's got alcohol kind of uh, goes there. But uh, that was always my approach when, even when the zero alk beers started to get better, was thinking, well, I've got a calorie budget that I want to maintain. And if I sit down and have a six pack of alcohol-free beer, I, my, my personal choice was to drink something like the soda water and hopefully not pay $6 for it. <laughs> but it, it was. Um, have you found that people are interested in the calories that, 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 that are in the alcohol-free versions as much as they are in the alcohol versions? There's a mix out there. There's definitely people out there who are conscious about yeah. it. Uh, and, and, you know, to be honest, there is low-cal, non-alc beer options out there now. But, uh, you know, some of the big brands have released those. And the process to get it to low and no-cal is the same process as they're using to get it to no and low-alc. And it <laughs> also takes out most of the flavour. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think people sometimes are, are willing to compromise a little bit in terms of the... I guess uh, the calorie calculator yep. as such for the sake of actually still getting decent flavor. Yeah. I, you know, I just want to kind of add to that because, uh, you know, we see a lot of um, comments come out in forums and, you know, on social media and stuff when people are dissing non-alc beer and say, oh, I could just go and drink a water. And I'm like, great. Yeah. Water is a very great healthy alternative mm. to drinking alcohol. You know, but we, you know, there's only so much water you want to drink before you want to actually have something that's of substance and of flavour and, and gives you that tingle in the brain that says that you've knocked off work and you're relaxing and you're hydrating and you're, you're, you're you know, you're socialising or whatever it is. And, and I'll be honest, like having an alcohol-free beer while we have this, I, I'm, I'm having that. You know, I, I just want to relax, <laughs> and, uh, and and so so it is. But that's why I sort of think, well, if if, I, if I'm going to knock off, I'll have beer. But there are a whole lot of reasons why people don't want to do that. Uh, clearly, who who is buying it? Do you think? You know, is it you know millennials who don't want to drink? Is it uh, people such as yourself, Clinton, who are wanting a different alternative, you know, a, a better alternative, um, or is it people that are, that are moderating or is it a little bit of column A, B and C and more? Yeah, it's a mix of all. When we first started back in 2017, it was heavily baby boomers. We could see that in our data um, coming through. We've seen that significantly shift over particularly the last 18 months, 12 months, uh, and there's far more younger people choosing not to drink for whatever reason at whatever time. Um, so that market now sort of 25 to 35 has really started to boom. And yeah. that's not teetotalers. It's yeah. not people who are choosing yeah. not to drink at all. It's people who yeah. maybe they're de designated driver. Maybe they're pregnant. Maybe they got a health concern. Maybe they just don't feel like drinking all the time at every social engagement anymore. Yeah. yeah. We've got a friend who's a lifeguard and he would pick up a six pack every afternoon, go home and drink it, you know, and he started drinking, substituting some of those um, stubbies out so he'd have like four regular and two sobers and then it would be four sobers and two regular and 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 his wife was loving it she was buying him the beer you know she was like great my husband's drinking less it means that he's not getting inebriated 
in the evening and I actually have a partner that I can communicate with after dinner, you know, because he's not, he's not got, you know, tipsy or soft around the edges or falling asleep on the couch. And, um, you know, and that's the transition that we've seen across the last couple of years is that people are choosing to drink a non-alc beer to, to reduce the amount of alcohol that they're consuming. It, it's interesting because we spoke to um, alcohol-free shop in Sydney, uh, Irene, and uh, that's what she said. You know, men aren't the ones who are going in and buying these products, but they're selling and it's often the wives. Yeah, yeah. I think um, our social media analytics tells us that most women follow us and I think that has a lot to say around how much women use social media. But um, our store sales is pretty on par um, with with more men drinking our products, yeah. But women do, the wives are sourcing it. They're putting the drinks in the fridge. They're, they're helping their husbands along and with a, a gentle nudge to, to look after their health as they uh, are getting older. How much do you think the no-alc trend is fashion as well? Because we've seen, I, one of the things I've talked about on the podcast is I, I don't remember any um, beer category or product or anything over the 20 years I've been uh, observing the industry getting as much coverage in as much in as high profile publications as uh, no alk. Um, yeah, I think a part of that is the the whole shock element of it. So people are actually in shock of this movement, but they shouldn't be. Like we could see it was happening in Europe and America for the last decade really and really over the last five years has been booming but i've always just seen it as an extension of the more mindful consumption movement that we've seen so we've seen it with you know in the beginning with people moving a lot to lactose free and glucose free products and then we've seen you know the meat movement sort of come through and i've now just seen the no alcohol thing as another extension of that healthier lifestyle choice movement that has been happening now for for the past decade or so and look the the non-alc beverages scene is a part of a larger movement which it has to do with the beneficial beverages so there is a new wave that we're just at the tip of that and it's about drinks that actually have a beneficial purpose they're healthier for you they've got something in them that's going to you know do something for your brain something for your body and and that's what we're seeing and that's what the next five years is going to be about does that then mean that beers are going to have to have things added to them is alcohol-free beer of itself a beneficial product Um, or is it you know taking the alcohol out it makes it a better choice but does that then make it beneficial non-out craft beer is a beneficial choice. Uh, it's a healthier carb. There's, it's packed with sodium, potassium, magnesium. That's why the Olympic teams of certain countries are drinking it because it actually is good for things like recovery because of the natural mineral content and vitamin content of what's in a beer. Yeah. Um, so it is, in that essence, it is a it, it is a healthy choice. Um, beer, beer has always been a healthy choice. It's just the alcohol that's been a problem. You know, like beer is a food, it's a food product and it's actually because of the fermentation process, it makes it a health, like, you know, we look historically back in the times when water wasn't safe to drink, you know, beer and wine was the safe alternative. So it wasn't as alcoholic back then. 
again, we've become so smart at making things and making things with negatives such as alcohol that are easier to drink. Mm. Um, and a terrific book called The Dorito Effect that talks about our food choices. You know, uh, we're, we're so good at mimicking the things that are good, but in something that's bad yeah. um, that may, making it more desirable. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the business uh, then and, 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 and the, the business that you're encouraging people to invest in. Yep. So as I mentioned earlier, we started back in 2017 and we were the first non-out craft beer company in Australia. You know, four years later, we're, we've now got to a place where the significant growth that we've experienced over the last couple of years has led us to a decision to to expand um, and to look at the best way as a company and as an organization to do that. For us, we're very different to most companies. So we, I only started a business for the sake of being able to do something good with it. I've got no freaking interest in big corporate business to fill my own pocket. Like that's just, it's not my Gamilaray way. I live my life through my law, my dear Gamal. And it just doesn't match up. Like greed is not a part of my philosophy. So if I was going to go into this business and it was going to be this entity that had the opportunity to become really big, I wanted to to be structured from day one in a way that would allow us to do something damn good and positive and be able to give back from that. And the growth is going to allow us to really expand what we can, you know, there's only so much you can do with $5. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the more I've, I've, I'm unashamedly been telling people since day dot that I want this to be the biggest and most respected non-alc adult beverage company in the world in 10 years time. Yeah, we're on like, you know, we I guess we're on a trajectory like we have always had it in our mindset that, you know, come if we're still right at the beginning, we said if we're doing this five years from now, we're going to have our own brewery. So we're four years now. So five years next year, we're having our own brewery. And, and you know, by having a brewery, it's a 10 year commitment of, you know, we're looking at, okay, this is our ten, next from from opening the doors of a brewery. Our commitment is in this company and building it for 10 years, you know. And so it, we, we're kind of like ticking off the milestones at the moment and, staying true to our path you know staying in our lane you know doing what we feel is right um for the business and for the thing you know for ourselves as well because you know we're a couple and we have a family and yeah sober is our life as well and and, you know that growth that the whole point of us building that brewery yes it makes good business sense we can produce our small and medium scale products at a a lower cost we can protect ip particularly in the native food space that i've been giving away I taught the whole country how to make non-alc beer over the last few years. Contract brewing isn't good for business, to be honest. So um, there's a whole bunch of reasons on that side for the business. But for us, it brings all that we are as a brand, as sober, under one roof. So we can bring a whole bunch of the cool social initiatives that we want to do, a whole bunch of the the cultural tourism and, and education elements that we want to promote under one roof the healing opportunities that we want to be able to be engaging in on a, on a growing level under that same roof. So it's not just a brewery with a, you know, typically, typically a brewery would have a, you know, have a brew pub, you know, at the front, the front of house where we can serve beers and that a brew pub 
um, didn't really sit well with us being a non-alc beer. We we definitely wanted to make sure that we had a space that people could come in and enjoy our products and want to stay and hang around. So for that purpose, we're having a cafe. So it'd be a brew cafe um, and a, you know, daytime venue and, you know, family friendly and with a, with a menu that heroes native foods just the same way our drinks do. And, um, you know, we got recently asked, you know, what is our qualifications in running running a cafe? <laughs> and I'm like, what's our qualifications in running a beer company? Um, <laughs> so we, um, for Clinton and I, this whole thing brings everything that we've ever done in our adult lives together under one roof. You know, Clinton was a chef. We had a food truck, so we were doing native foods across our, our dishes and we've done drinks and, you know, we, we handmade these drinks you know, once upon a time and we're, we're just basically scaling this and making it a hell of a lot more pro. So, yeah. So just out of interest, what volume are you making annually at the moment and what volume are you anticipating the brew house being when, when it opens? Yeah, so as I said, this is mostly about bringing our small and medium scale stuff in-house um, to heavily reduce those costs and to make them more cost effective and get them out to retailers and 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 further. So currently I can only do about 9,000 litres a year of those small scale brews. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm building a 25 heck brewery. <laughs> so we're the tripling, tripling what we do with our special release season. Our, our license will be for 200,000 litres. Yeah. Be very careful because council is, uh, <laughs> uh, anyone uh, could be watching. Somebody from council might be listening to this. So I'll be limiting <laughs> myself to 200,000 litres <laughs> production in that facility. All our mainstream stuff will continue to contract because I just can't compete with the prices that uh, those large scale contract facilities can produce for, but I definitely can do better on my small and medium scale stuff while protecting IP, while being able to really investigate and help um, First Nations peoples around the country look at how can we use particular things in the brewing process, native grains, rices, different foods. Um, Yeah, we're looking really forward to it. It's going to be cool. Now, I'll I'll be completely honest, this week of all weeks, um, I sort of had a bit of a start when you were talking about uh, the important, even if you grow, you don't want to sort of and I'm paraphrasing what you said, not sell out for a, a, a huge pile of money, which is rather topical. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. Look, I, everybody's, I, I, everyone's got their price. We'll just have to put it down there. Everyone's got their their cake, you know, Some something, you know, there's always a price, but um, yeah. And, and I'm not trying to make you commit to anything or anything, but it, it, it sounded like there was a very strong passion there for, dare I say, remaining independent. Absolutely. And I can give you a straight answer to it. We want 10 years down the track or sooner if it happened, a, a massive First Nations conglomerate to come along and take custodianship of this. We're a, we're a First Nations business, mate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, need, I need a First Nations big business to come yeah, and go, hey, we- we're going to help you grow we're going to definitely put it on the record that we won't be chinese or japanese owned um at at some stage down the track it has to remain majority aboriginal owned business We, we we created a brand that has a very strong identity and that can't be owned by someone else that's you know not Nations. i'm always very honest in this area and i can tell you right now if lion or cub came along and said we'll give you X amount of money for 20% and you can access our distribution channels. 
that means I can get this out everywhere. I can actually bring in more money to do more good. So I'm very open and honest about that. But my golden trophy is for a massive First Nations conglomerate over time to work with us and then to potentially take out the whole thing and take it astronomical while maintaining the values and the purpose that the entire thing was set up for. Again, excuse my ignorance. Are there First Nation conglomerates that are out there doing this sort of acquisition? There's a few that are growing pretty rapidly at the moment. Good. Um, okay. And, and I'd like to think we're on their radar. <laughs> I think I'd, I'd we've made enough that... noise over the last three weeks <laughs> that everybody knows what we're doing. <laughs> I was going to say, I'd love to, I'd love to think that Bruciness is going to put you on that radar, but I, I just don't know. Uh, we, we'll put you on some industry radars, that's for sure. <laughs> I think, you know, when it comes to Bruce News and the industry is that we just, we would like for non-alc beer just not to be seen as the uncool cousin, that you just don't, you just wish that they didn't come to the party, you know, like, and that's how it's kind of always felt for us in the background is that, you know, we're not given the credit of, of actually being a real beer product um, and, and recognising that, you know, we're not here to um, diminish what they're doing or, you know, diminish, you know, other breweries and the fact that they're making alcohol beers. Like, you know, that's their space. Great. And and some and a lot of them are doing really good stuff with that. But to, to ex- be more accepting that there is a space for beers that don't have alcohol in them. You know, we've seen it in Europe, you know, you can go into a McDonald's in Belgium and get non-alc beer on tap. You know, it's it, it it should be normal. It should be it should be standard. You know, instead of alcohol beer being called the standard, you know, it just beer. You know, it doesn't matter how much alcohol is in it; it's still beer. It, it it's interesting to hear you say that it's uncool, and no doubt when you started, it was that novelty or that odd thing. But both through sober and the work that you've done and the brand the very strong brand that you've created um that's multi-leveled it's not just first nations it's a uh, multi-leveled um but then also the legitimacy that it's got from the number that have followed I, I, i'm interested that you think that it might still be uncool because my bigger fear was was it just too fashionable and something you know it, is it like flares that you know <laughs> everyone's wearing them um for a very short period of time. And hopefully they're not bringing it back. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw no, a guy with that. players the other day. I think it's back. Oh, <laughs> no. It's back. So, but, but yeah, do, yeah, do you think that it's still viewed as uncool? Or do you think that it has entered that, in you know, cool? And is it a, a classic cool or is it a flavour of the moment? Pardon the pun. I think it dep- it's geographical. So if you look at different areas, I think it's a different attitude towards this space at the moment. So if you go to the larger cities, it's it's the cool hipster thing. There's no doubt about that. You come to the Gold Coast, it's still not really a high level of acceptance because apparently it's party capital. Yeah, for us as a Gold Coast company, um, you know, they always say that you start in your own backyard and you build your business and you build your popularity and then you start to branch out from that. And there was no way we were going to build a non-alc beverage company by starting local um, here where Australians come to party. So, 
it is the cities, you know, Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane have been massive um, in our movement and, and, and for our product. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not a trend as in it's not going to go away. It's just going to be more normal. It's just going to become more and more and more normal and we'll, we'll stop having these conversations around it being trendy. I dead set thought I was going to have sober on the moon before in a bar on the Gold Coast. Man, we've spent a lot of lucky. Lucky these are padded walls because I've spent a lot of time banging my head on them, trying to get and, into the market here. You, you've got some great champions, uh, as in uh, Shanna from Sober in the Country, um, taking it out with that message uh, that there is an alternative. Uh, you know, from her very personal experience. Yeah, and and you know, me and Shanna have got a really good connection because. We don't bullshit, you know. We we've both lived it. Um, we're both very true to our values. This isn't just a gimmick, you know. What she's doing is not just a gimmick or a fad. What we're doing is not just a gimmick or a fad. I literally live everything that this business promotes, be it the healthy lifestyle, the non-alk stuff everybody knows about. You know, if if we do an ad of somebody rock climbing guess who it's going to be it's me climbing up that wall if i say hey this is great after you run an ultra marathon guess who has to go run that marathon <laughs> me. Like, I careful saying that as somebody that's on the wrong side of 50 now um their promises that you've made well, I've, have, done have, them, have so right. <laughs> I've recently done I, I hope you filmed it <laughs> yeah yeah we did um but that's what i mean like we're very true to what we are promoting. This isn't a fad. This isn't just a brand for us. It's 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 actually the way we live our lives. You know, I live through my culture, so I promote my culture. I love my country, and I know every First Nations person loves their country, so we want to promote those connections. We love our native foods and think they're far better for our country, so we want to look at how do we promote that and get rid of all this stuff that's been introduced that's destroying our land. Everything is, is something we're passionate about, we believe in, and we live it day in, day out. And I think that's really the difference, and that's what people are, are buying into. How is it, just back to sober in the country, Shanna is doing amazing things, but at mm. the same time, there, there is an element of, uh, you know, um, the, there's an anti-alcohol movement that is anti-alcohol and sees alcohol-free as it's been described as grooming the next mm. generation of, of alcoholics. And... Um, I, I know that sober in the country promotes your beer and you've, or your, yeah, your, your beer. Um, at, but at the same time, there is that fear that it can trigger um, some people. Or you know, um, how do we negotiate those conflicting feelings that alcohol free is at the centre of? I think we're. It's about having choice and options. We're all as human beings empowered by having options and choices. Um, so. What we do isn't going to suit everybody. I'm very open about that. I've done, I've been on yarns with Shanna and I've been recorded in newspapers saying, you know what, for some people this may be a trigger and you need to stay away from it. I'm very open about that because mm. this isn't well, just yeah. we're not, We don't want people to buy our product, you know, like if, if it's not right for you, it's not right for you. Yeah. You know, it's, but it's then there's people, out, there's people out there who are like me who aren't triggered by the flavour of I actually really enjoy the flavour of beer and I've got no interest in alcohol. Yeah, and for a lot of people, having a like-for-like product helps them reduce their alcohol intake and to the point where they stop drinking completely. I I did an interview um, for one of the newspapers over the last couple of weeks and it was when there was a whole bunch of tension around non-alcs being in the supermarkets. 
Mm. And they rang me for my perspective because I think they were thought they were going to get something completely different. And I straight up said, you know what? I don't want to go to a bottle shop. <laughs> I'm one of those people who wants to avoid a bottle shop and actually wants to go to a shopping center. <laughs> um, and there's a whole bunch of people for me who maybe that bottle shop is the trigger. Maybe that's the environment they don't want to attend to. And so it's safer for them to be able to get non-alc options in a regular supermarket. There, there was a there was an argument raised about whether seeing non-alcoholic drinks in the aisles of the supermarket would be part of that grooming for the next generation of drinkers. But you know, from day dot, kids grow up, their very first birthday party, they're surrounded by adults drinking alcohol. You know, they're 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 groomed, they're groomed at home. They're groomed at home. You know, that we we grow up seeing alcohol around us. It's on the television. They talk about it on the news. It's it's in our uh, the reality TV shows. Like it, seeing it, seeing a a non alcoholic drink in the supermarket aisle is not going to make them an alcoholic. What it does is provide an opportunity for a conversation. And education. Putting my putting my psych hat on, it's all that is is about people trying to escape responsibility for the influence they've had over their own kids, be it positive or negative, by trying to put the blame, shift the blame of influence somewhere else. And that's what I mean. You know, like up until up until a couple of years ago, I don't think I'd ever been to a kid's birthday party that wasn't surrounded with alcohol i actually went to a five-year-old's party the other day in one of those jumping castle type places every adult in there was on the piss mm. every adult there was about six little birthday parties happening and every adult was on the piss and i was just like wow they're worried about it being on a shelf when all these kids who we know if you program them before five it's more likely to stick for the lifetime are seeing alcohol in the home and in every social situation day in, day out. That's where the problems cause. But people don't like to take ownership of their own shit, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's interesting you say because on one hand it was Irene who uh, um, came out very strongly against uh, – uh, and I thought she made some good points about it. it's in the soft drink aisle and uh, things like that, which yeah. – yeah, it can definitely open. be better placed. Absolutely, oh, I agree okay. with it. There, it can be better placed. Yeah. But the, and then there's also the debate around um, FASD, the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, and I, I, I genuinely wonder how many people that are actually going to read a label on the back of a can of beer are the ones that are likely to drink. Um, our alcohol or whether it's 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 more embedded social issues that are leading to that and how much to, to use uh, your uh, words uh, is there a transference that's taking place um, to, to to drive that campaign yeah you know like, I love Irene she's really good at her job she's got an online shop she's going to want to drive people to her online shop which is great for me because we're sold in that online shop so great but as i said i'm honest and i'm going to tell the other side of the story every time and that is that we know very very clearly the research shows us that exposure to non-alcoholic beverages does not increase the chance of you becoming an alcoholic <laughs> so you know as you know we're good mates with james he's british i used to work over in the uk as a chef mate 
there's an entire aisle in every supermarket over there of alcohol in the main supermarket, every single supermarket. Now, is every single person in the UK a raging alcoholic? If you're on the streets on a Saturday night. <laughs> there is a few, but not everybody. So the, 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 the clear... It's cultural. The clear... Yeah science shows us that you know if there was that level of exposure and that was going to lead to alcoholism that everybody in that country should therefore be an alcoholic because they are exposed okay. to it in every shopping center mm. every single shopping center in the country yeah one of the things that again as somebody who writes professionally uh, about beer um enjoys um a, a beer um for the alcohol i at the same time i've, I've sort of seen the, the issue i've always been very and i i have a I, I cringe anytime I hear people talk about beer salespeople as booze slingers or you know th th there's just something that diminishes the seriousness that which we we should engage with alcohol as adults um, mm. and, and and also the the, the the cultural trends where we have morning show hosts that on one hand are holding up uh, about alcohol fueled violence but then celebrating how hungover they are you know, after the Logies um, on television and, in fact, still drunk. Or, yeah. you know, the, the first question we ask a, a winning football captain the next day is, how's the head, mate? Yeah. Um, and there's a language around that that I think yeah. is far more powerful Absolutely. driving drinking than the drink itself in, it's in some ways. the social influences. It's not the supermarkets. <laughs> yeah, and, and, like, I don't know, I don't watch maths, um, I'll just put it I don't watch it. But I just happened to watch an episode a couple of seasons ago. And it was just, just, I was walking past. I was walking past. And the, it was when they got all the, all the, all the grooms together to, to meet before all the weddings. And at, one by one they come into the room and they're all grabbing a beer and they're having, they're having a drink together. And this one guy comes in and they, they deliberately had him come in last. So he's come into a scene where everyone's having a beer and this guy doesn't drink. And he's come in last and they say, oh, here, grab it, have, have a drink. He goes, no, no, I don't drink. And they're like, oh, oh, what's wrong with you? And, you know, the real question is, well, guys, what's wrong with you? You're so confronted by this one individual who's just walked into the room and said, I don't have a drink. And he actually got left out of the conversations after that. And it's always sat, that that scene has always sat with me as a great opportunity to have a discussion around um, how people are, uh, are included or excluded mm. based on whether they're drinking or not. Yeah, and it's very similar to when we did that that series with Sean McCullough and some of the interviews he did were in outback pubs and and and, and in in the city and he was having those conversations and people going oh I don't trust people who don't drink and that yeah. rhetoric is absolutely normalized in Australia. Unfortunately, Australia has got an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. It doesn't like to acknowledge it, mm. uh, but it's a fact. It likes to point the finger at my mob and say that we've got the problem with alcohol when the the, the cold hard facts are that non-indigenous australians are far more more likely to consume alcohol at all than aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples in this country and mm. um, so again it's that othering it's this constant thing of well if i point the finger over there i don't have to look at my own shit. Mm. i don't have a problem because i'll push it over there mm. 
Um, and that's that's maintained this unhealthy relationship. And, and unfortunately, marketing is built off it. Yeah, we had we we went, we had a, a stall at an event a few years back, and someone's like, "Oh, this is a great idea." We we people till still tell us that sober is a great idea, mind you. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's a bit more tangible than that." Um, <laughs> so he's like, "Oh, yeah, this is a great this is idea. real. This is a great idea. It'll do really well in those communities." And I'm like, oh, so what? You're talking about the the the, the cities. You're talking the, about the, the, the Sydney North Shore, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. King, King's Cross on a Saturday night. Yeah, it was awkward. Yeah, again, I think there's a whole conversation that's not about sobers, <laughs> equity crowdfund, <laughs> but about you know movies like um, The Hangover and uh, things yeah. like that that glamorize um, and you know journalists, uh, the way they write about it, the way that it's portrayed in popular culture almost needs an ABAC as, as much as anything else. But that's a whole other conversation. Let's uh, talk about sober because I'm very conscious of how much time I've taken already. Um, one, one of the things that I can't not ask uh, around the equity crowdfund, the valuation. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that people always point at um, for equity crowdfunds. Um, $11 million is a lot for a business that's... Uh, you know, turning over less than a million dollars uh, in revenue. Um, how, how did you come at that? We ran all our financials and we looked at what are the EBITDAs that uh, many other both craft beer and non, non-alc craft beer companies have run um, over the past couple of years. And the multiplications that were coming out from those were generally 10. So we ran an EBITDA and gave ourselves that times 10, which gives us the evaluation. So we'd said from day dot, this is what we're going to aim for. The crowdfunding has now ratified what we already found it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And you know, we've got competitors out there who've had certain valuations. You know, you're looking at liars with this extremely high valuation. I'm not saying they're a competitor, but in the non-alc space, you know. Okay. And it's all about around not just potential, but literally what we intend and what we know we can do in the next twelve months to three years time. And um, like Clinton, we were. We were offered seven, close to seven hundred thousand dollars just for the sober brand name two years ago. Like, didn't want anything, didn't want our recipes, didn't want nothing. They said, "We'll buy sober." How much do you want for it? And I'm like, "Oh gosh, we're not selling that." And so we figure, you know, our brand it has has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, and again, that, that's one of the things that, that I, I, I struggle with because value is what someone's willing to pay for it yeah. clearly. And yeah. as you say, the equity crowd fund legitimizes the valuation, yeah. but then there's also, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of no brewery that's, uh, you know, no, no business brewing business that's gone broke has ever sold for anything near what the equity crowd funding valuations um, have, have actually valued the, 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 the business at. So is there a little bit of an equity crowdfunding bubble that distorts the, the valuation, do you think? And it's probably a very unfair question no, to people I, who I are. I actually don't think there is. Like, um, you know, we had 300% growth last year. We'll expect the same again this year. Um, we're constantly expanding our um, our presence within the majors and we've got a whole bunch of international collaborations about to, to come on over the next 12 months. And that's before we even build this brewery and have all the revenue that's going to come through that brewery. Yeah. So, no, we've been very conservative, actually, in, in the way that we've um, financed 
looked at our finances and that's because we've had some pretty hardcore business people on our advisory board that won't let us just talk bullshit. Um, they put us through the rigor of ensuring that we had the information that we had, um, not just the financial information, but the future forecasting, I guess, industry information that would verify that what we're asking for is legitimate. So we, we'd really done our homework before we went to the crowdfunding raise so that if when people asked, we could quite easily answer and just say, no, we've done the homework. Here's This is what we're basing it on. Rather than just picking a random figure out of the sky and saying, I had some rich people invest at this much and therefore we're valued at this much. I think that, you know, that, that can be very misleading for people, but no, we've had to run the figures We've had to run the projections um, and it all it all actually maps out. And we've actually had a lot of the people from big business who are jumping on board of the equity crowdfunding who are coming from CFO roles and finance roles going, hey, you know what? We ran your figures and it maps out. Mm. So yeah. that's that's further verified that we're on the right track. Yeah. And again, one of the reasons why uh, this is an equity crowdfunding that uh, we're talking about is because I think, as I said, there are so much, so many levels to mm. the brand and what you guys do that there isn't, it's not for me to say, but it, it there is a lot more to it. But I then have to point to a brand like Endeavor, um, which was the first to equity crowdfund. It's one of the ones that people are, you know, that have crowdfunded since uh, using in doing their multiples they got uh, $5 million compensation for the clash with their trademark, with, with their um, brand, um, when Endeavour Drinks Group changed their name, but then were delisted by Endeavour Drinks Group and essentially don't have a business personal opinion um but the, the the figures seem to suggest that they've once they were not ranged by uh Endeavour Drinks Group all of their other business didn't really count too much and so the business seemed to only be worth you know conservatively five six million dollars um how, how do you reconcile those sorts of uh comparisons and and there are always concerns that you have to be looking at you know there is always the chance that we will be delisted by those majors but they're at present a very small part of our actual revenue and business yeah, we, went into, we went independent yeah. first we wanted yeah. to be in every independent bottle shop in the country yeah before we even approached or got yeah. approached by those majors so yeah. and now we're getting that international attention the same way so it's independents that want to stock us it's not the majors yeah so i think as long as we maintain our values and what we're actually doing, which is, you know, for me, I see us as a cultural and wellness business that happens to have the commodity of beer. That's beer is the driving, it's, it's a bit of a revenue maker for us to be able to do the good work that we want to do at the other end. And people really appreciate that part of our business. So I think we've got the protections there that separate us from many other, both craft and non-outcraft businesses. Um, is we've got that integrity and we've got that point of difference. Just, and I'm not an accountant, but one of the, going through the, the, the balance sheet, one of the figures that stood out to me was you've got a team of eight at the moment, including both of you mm -hmm. yourselves, and the wages bill uh, was only $140,000. Oh, wow. 
that one. That that question was recently raised um, by someone else um, okay. in the discussion board as well. Um, you know, it you're looking at it and you look say, oh, there's eight people in your team, and and those wages don't equate to eight full time wages because they're not. Mm, okay. Our team members are made up of people who work part time, casual. Um, they they're new team members, so they haven't been with us for the full uh, twelve months. Um, or they, um, in, one of them is an independent contractor, so she's not on our payroll. So, um, and all of our advisors, they're they're not on our payroll either, unless you're talking about the lawyers down the bottom. So, you know, and even like Clinton doesn't take a wage from sober, so he's never taken any money out of this business. You know, in in the four years. So, is that sustainable going forward though? Because again, yeah. as somebody who started a business that wasn't taking the, any money out of it, I know that it's not. It's not the future intention, I guess. For as directors and as as majority shareholders, the intention is to drive the business to a point where we can just receive dividends, and that's mm. that's enough for us. I I receive a wage from sober because I work. I work. We've got some pretty cool things in place in terms of yeah. you know our equity policies here you know we've got things like no one in our business will get paid more three more than three times more than the lowest paid person so you know we're looking for people who want to be a part of our journey and our purpose not who are just want the highest dollar that they can actually get you know if i've got somebody on 27 dollars, well the ceo is never getting paid more than three times that if they want more figure out how to make more money for the business so we can afford to pay that person more money yeah so our wage bills look small because you know, I don't take wage and that's because I have a personal affliction with double dipping within my business at this point in time. You know, I'm, a, I'm an owner of the business and I have a successful business outside of it that allows me an income. So I don't want to be detrimental to the business by double dipping, taking a wage and then taking whatever comes in the future. Yeah, We will move to a space where I will move my time into the business to be able to do the, the philanthropic and, and charity-based work and the healing work that we actually want to do. And sober is going to be able to fund that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is part of the vision. But until we get to that point where it is actually sustainable for the business, I keep getting my money out. So I can make more money in a day doing consultancy than I, I'm going to get paid by sober in a week. So I keep doing consultancy. That allows me to do the work that we do in here and grow in a in a responsible way yeah. until we get to that point when sober then can afford to bring that work in house. Look, and and Matt, to be honest, it would be an injustice to have Clinton full time in sober because the work that he does in his consultancy and the work that he does outside of sober is very important. Um, and you know, a lot of people just think that he's just sitting here. You know, people who know sober just thinks he just makes beer. And it's funny when we talk about Clinton's out running a workshop, or he's out lecturing, or he's out, um, you know, doing something in community. They're like, "Oh, is he out there talking about beer?" And it's like, "Well, no, he's <laughs> a very important person behind the scenes, and it's not just about beer." So, um, the, the 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 conscious choice. Um, this whole time and 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 going forward is that Clinton has skills and knowledges and and that are, that are valuable outside of the the company as a beer business. It was interesting to hear you talk about being taken over, you know, by a, a First Nations conglomerate. Um, so you're obviously approaching this as an investment, as opposed to people who just are passionate about the business. You know that 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 um, supportive 
contribution as opposed to a genuine investment where you see that people can get your, your aim is for people to get a return in, fo- in the form of a dividend in time absolutely you know we're, we're trying to i really hope that we can teach big, big business here in australia that you can be a business for purpose and you can give back and it actually is good business so that means we have to be profitable mm-hmm. um, one because that allows me the best opportunity to do the work i want to do the the healing type work that we want to do but two i want to be able to show a business in australia that this is good business it's not charity this is actually good business you know i was telling i was doing some lectures at high schools around social entrepreneurship last week and they were asking me some questions about the way that our business runs and they said what's your marketing budget i said i don't have a marketing budget i have a social initiative budget because that's good marketing (laughs) people see us doing good newspapers want to write about it radio wants to hear about it tv wants to you know do stories about it that's better marketing than paying for a freaking ad in a magazine as far as i'm concerned because there's something of benefit coming out of it while the attention is still coming back to the business so we work very differently so it's very hard for us to explain to to people a lot of the time you know the business mechanisms of this business because we've flipped everything on the on its head and we and we've been very purposeful in doing that and most people have laughed at us and said it's a massive risk and it'll never work but i think now they're sitting back and going actually i think they've proven us wrong right <laughs> thing the, the only thing i'm going to say to that is i think you're 100% right about advertising uh, budgets things like that but to anyone that's listening it's advertising that makes this possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if you'd like to sponsor conversations, <laughs> if you'd like to sponsor conversations like this, you can advertise. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't just, making out advertising. No, no, I, 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 I know you weren't, and, and, and you're 100 percent right. But it, it, it's, it's like I think one of the reasons, and, and it's something I'm very passionate about. One of the reasons we have such shit quality news these days is because classifieds have gone and all, and all the things that used to fund quality journalism have gone. Yeah. And uh, you, you read about people saying, so oh, we don't need, we'll just tell our story. And when I get media releases from them, you know, 30 times a year, and I'm going, how, it costs me money to tell your story. So anyway, but don't, you're 100%. I just didn't want to You know, to ad- advertise, advertise for a higher purpose. You know, like we, and that's the thing. You, there's nothing wrong with advertising. Spend money on advertising. Thank you for that. That was an unpaid. But make it, make it a, make it bigger than yourself. And a really good example of that is like for Bathurst last year, we produced a sober TV ad that was a ride sensible drink sober public health initiative. <laughs> we did that, you know, because we're like, okay, if we're going to run an ad. I want to do it about something that's going to teach somebody something at least. So we did an ad because I ride motorbikes, you know, nearly every day. And when we go on long rides, I'm watching people stop at every pub along the way. And I'm like, eh. So <laughs> I, run a, I run a freaking ad with the slogan being ride sober, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is great now that all the majors have their non-elks in every, in every pub. And I've actually seen people drinking those non-elks, which is great on those rides. You didn't get an ABAC complaint because I know that when the big brands have done the same thing, they've been subject to ABAC complaints for normalising that sort of behaviour with alcohol free. No, we didn't have any complaints passed straight through. Yeah, they loved it. Either that or the people who complain uh, like you guys, which uh, (laughs) I I hope is the case. 
So anyway, or they're looking look, at it and going, I'm not really sure what this ad's about. It's either a tourism ad for the Gold Coast, an ad for Harley Davidsons, or I'm not really <laughs> sure what this is about. <laughs> Guys, I, look, I, I would actually love to chat and we will definitely get you back um, after the, the equity crowdfund because I think there's a whole lot more to talk about in this alcohol-free space. But uh, congratulations. Um, we could have written so much more about you over the years um, uh, and certainly there is a, a great story there to tell. So uh, all, all, all the very best with the uh, equity crowdfund. Um, actually, how are you going? Um, I, I haven't checked. I, I actually did I, I take an investment. Um, in 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 all of them, um, and so uh, I've got my two hundred and fifty shares. Oh, are you a co-owner? A co-owner? Oh my goodness! Jeez, is that a is that a dual relationship issue with this here or what? <laughs> well, no, because I I, I I take it in all of the uh, equity crowd fundings because uh, I, I have a professional interest in how they communicate yeah, and all of those sure. sorts of things. Um, so uh, yeah, but I am a, a full disclosure, ding ding. Um, I am a. Uh, Part owner. Look, I'm just I'm just trying to refresh my page while all those is looking at that. You know, it's um, now I don't give investment advice, but that's having had this conversation, I am actually thinking of upping my uh, investment from an interest one to a. You know, we've got some really cool stuff going to happen over the next twelve months, and I'm I mentioned uh, our good mate James Cruzon from Good Beer Co. um, Earlier in the conversation, Um, we're going to be doing some really cool collab stuff with Good Beer Co. Uh, which I'm super excited about, but I can't talk more about it than that. Yeah. Um, Again, another guy who I think is just... It'll be an awesome conversation to get me and James on and have a yarn about that at some stage. Yeah, we talk about decolonising him. (laughs) 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 Um, So so we're up to 677,000 from 341 investors, and that's what we've been managed to do in just over two days. That's uh, pretty so. Well, it, it, by the time this comes out, uh, the opportunity may have closed. So we'll wait and see. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Clinton and Lozen, thank you so much for giving up some time on a Saturday so I could get this uh, done before I go on holidays. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be going and getting a couple of uh, sober beers to take with me on, on, on my holiday. So thank you very much and uh, all the very best. Governor into Matt, and thank you. Enjoy your holiday. Thank you. And that was Clinton Schultz and Lozen McDiamid Schultz. I'm definitely rethinking alcohol-free beer and almost, almost thinking that I might even see some interest on my $250, let alone just getting it back. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. And we truly thank Crymalt for sponsoring this episode of Beer is a Conversation. If you're a listener, don't forget that you can join the conversation on the very best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, clearly just search for Radio Brews News in Facebook and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show or even advertising on the show. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or you can email producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts. There are links to all of those in the show notes.